0: Back in and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking
1: through. A chance now, this will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with it.
2: Well, suddenly it's become a right.
1: Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart.
3: Welcome to another action-packed, burst at the seams episode of the Here We Go podcast We've got European football to look back on and look forward to We've got the first away day that fans were able to attend in quite some time to look back at as well And we'll have a, a quick peek at the League Cup match coming up this Sunday Joining joining me as always this week we have Richard Hey, How are you doing Richard?
1: I'm ok thanks Martin, how are you sir?
3: Oh, Not too bad, not too bad and our guest this week, uh, we'd like to wish a very belated happy birthday to John Sinclair. How are you doing, John?
2: I'm very well, thanks for the, thanks for the birthday wishes. I um, endured a very rainy birthday yesterday and then managed to get sunburned today while continuing the celebration. So that just goes to show you what the weather's like at this time of year.
3: Some European football to look back at first. The away leg at Blake. Richard, we covered we covered a bit of this on the, the debrief, so we'll try and keep it to um, some of the more interesting themes in, that come out of the game. Um, we've spoken many times, uh, probably in the past two seasons. In fact, probably quite a lot during Der- the previous manager Derek McInnes's reign about the some of the poor quality of the set pieces uh, they've been. Um, you know, we've had McNeil McGinn, Johnny Hayes, Matty Kennedy. You know, take your pick, a and other. Failing to deliver some good balls. Um, Alan Russell comes in with some coaching at the club, um, and we've we've, well, we've not only managed to improve the quality of our set pieces, we've found a young right back who is excelling at, at delivering balls into the box.
1: Well, I certainly think the two, uh, two goals from which we've scored headers from the uh, Andy Conradine one against Hacken and the um, Lewis Bergson one uh, are partly to do with the um, delivery into the box. Partly to do with the deficiencies of the other side and being able to defend those set pieces, and partly to do with our kind of NF-style blockage, blocking play that we seem to be employing at these set pieces now. I mean, Alan Russ has got experience in the States, as we know, and um, he's obviously used that to to utilise his um, his. Set piece routines. But you know, the the first one Ramirez puts away, it, it's a clever move. It, it's not exactly a first in world football, but the way in which they work it clear, it's just it's subtle, but it's pretty masterful. But the way that Scott Brown blocks off Ramirez's marker to allow him a clear run. And it's that kind of game know how and street wiseness really we've been lacking. Almost as much as someone that can put a decent delivery into the box. So I'm not wanting to underplay what Calvin Ramsey can bring to the team. As I say, those deliveries were decent. Not exactly undefendable, but decent. Um, Whereas, yeah, it's just it's smartness. It's a game awareness. It's just that edge that somebody like a Brown... And indeed, somebody scheming behind um, behind the scenes like Alan Russell can bring you.
3: That's the sort of thing that's going to win, win Scott Brown over with the, with the fans, isn't it, John?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought it was just incredibly
2: intelligent play. I think we have to credit um, Carrie Arneson with an extra assist on that first goal against Buda Blick on Thursday. Um, by going in the press and talking about how our best chance of winning was... Uh, crossing to Considine at the back post and then within two minutes of the tie, we, we play a trick corner as it were and, uh, Scott Brown plays his role to perfection and then, um, Ramirez's finish was fantastic. I think, um, that, I, I completely agree that we've had a, 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 a long list of poor set piece takers at the club over the last, five, eight, ten years or so. I think we do well off direct free kicks. We can we can score free kicks but the, the corner routines and things like that I've never been much to get excited about. Um, and I think that not only are we, we benefiting now from from uh, Calvin Ramsey being able to hit them, but um in Christian Ramirez and you know, to a lesser extent Lewis Ferguson, we have players who have the ability to get on the end of these balls and do something special with them. The the cleanness with which Ramirez hit that ball from Calvin Ramsey for the first goal on Thursday. He just leathers it into the goal. There was no saving that whatsoever. And if you don't have the player who can get on the end of a, a, a cute little corner routine like that, then there's no point in even trying them. You might as well just lump it into Constein at the back post. But Ramirez just have a, has a real, uh, a, a real bit of technique about him, which, which makes... Corner routines like this all the more appealing.
1: I think the thing about corners generally is that we as supporters get wildly overexcited about them because the chances of a goal coming from it are something like three percent, I think it is. But you know, if you've got somebody who is working solely on things such as the set piece movement from corners, you know, if you have a coach dedicated to that, and if you can raise that from three percent to four percent. It makes a big difference over the course of a season, over the course of a year. Clearly, in the modern game, when everybody has knowledge of how everybody else plays, there's, you know, you're not going in cold to these ties. Being able to actually do something with set pieces is one of the few ways in which you can keep something fresh.
3: Obviously, we went up, we went up 2-0. Um, things were looking relatively comfortable, but um, something that's been maybe a bit of a concern so far, I mean, the season's very young. But something's a bit of concern is maybe a bit of defensive sloppiness. Um, they had some success with sort of long balls down the park, particularly the area behind Calvin Ramsey. They seem to target as well. Obviously, he's you no, know, he's a young, he's a young player, and he's you know, he's going to learn, and he's got a lot to learn in the game. He should be, he should be getting some help, I think, from from the centre half. So we just, just, it's it's an area of concern as so far this season because we've conceded goals that you know, really, we know we should be doing better with.
2: Yeah, the defending overall, I'm reluctant to, to focus too much on on Ramsey's inefficiencies there, but um, Considine and McCrory both have, have questions to answer about their defending for the goals on Thursday. Um, the long ball straight down the middle, they're very predictable when you're playing at this level of European tie, that's not to say that Haken and Buddeblik aren't decent teams but um, that long ball down the middle of your defence is, is something that we're going to have to be able to to cope with to succeed at, at that level but also um, just in the SPFL, you know how many times a, a game are we going to face those kind of long balls our centre backs need to be able to deal with them for the first goal, McCrory gets caught up in all sorts of stupid decision making and ultimately I think you know, The more I watch that goal, I, th- I think that there's an element where we could have maybe given away a penalty there. McCrory could maybe have actually been been called up on a penalty and then a punishment for him as a result. So perhaps just losing the goal might be uh, beneficial in some ways because it, mean, it means at the time that McCrory's not playing on a yellow for the rest of the game. And then for the second goal... Yeah, you can blame Ramsay for his, his wee slip, but then Constantine gets turned far too easily. Um, you know, it's ultimately a long ball. Konstantin should be able to track that through the air and see it coming in. He should be able to prepare for the fact that Ramsay might not be able to defend against it, and uh, ultimately it just progressed from there poorly from our point of view. Um, the changes that we made at halftime obviously mitigated some of these. Problems with the long ball down the middle. Um, But it it remains an area of concern, I would say. And and I don't like the idea of us having to change personnel and style in the middle of a game to defend against something that should really be basic for defenders of of McCrory, Constein, and and ultimately Detlin Gallagher's calibre.
1: Listen, I think individual mistakes are definitely aggravating the situation here. But it remains the fact that the system and the openness with which we were playing are exposing the centre-halves as much as anything else. And certainly what Breda Black were very good at doing was uh, quick switches, absolutely targeting the and in behind Calvin Ramsey, not doing quite so much with uh, Jack McKenzie on the other side. I think McKenzie is perhaps a bit more defensively aware than Ramsey, maybe less of an attacking threat because of that, although obviously we'll talk later about how he was a very direct attacking threat on Sunday. Um, And, you know, the fact has been happening game after game, and it's not always been because of individual mistakes by the centre halves, like it clearly was. McCrory could have dealt with that long ball much better for the first goal. It is about, it is the trade off of us being so open, of us being aggressively attacking. You know, you open your team up like that, you are going to be more exposed at the back. You know, you try and increase your attempts on the opposition goal, and You know, The likelihood is, we haven't necessarily increased the base level of quality in the team The likelihood is, we're going to have more attempts against us Than we've had in past years as well So so partly it's down to individual errors But partly it's about teams still spotting the fact that we have weaknesses there And the way in which we're playing is going to expose the centre-halves And I think that would expose any combination of the centre-halves at our club currently
3: as we, as we say there we know, were over str- struggled in the first half with the defense defensively there was three very bold half time changes at the time you know we didn't know that Lewis Ferguson was actually carrying an injury um and had played and we only found that out um I think we only found that at the weekend going, um, going to more of a three four two one richard it, it does help the defense it strengthens allows it does allow the full-backs to push up further i think it I think it bodes well for Thursday and probably the season that we have the flexibility to do this and the tools to to expose other, te- uh, expose other teams um, We know find that um, Bredeblit can be, can be gotten to And we can we can stretch them uh, But it also al- me- meant That particularly on Thursday um, I thought the second half you know, Well we- it wasn't sort of night and day um, It was a lot better with that Defensive three in the second half Just giving McCrory and Constine a little bit extra help
1: Yeah but again it's about risk reward isn't it You show up at the back line you're, you're taking a step back from that risk reward thing. You're, you're going with an extra man at the back, five at the back basically. And, you know, we weren't as open and weren't as providing as much of an attacking threat for most of that second half until towards the end as we had been. And, you know, it's great that the switch worked. It was clear that something had, had to happen based on how the majority of that first half went. But, you know, that was against pretty limited opponents in a game where, you know, we had scored twice from set pieces. You're not always going to get the opportunity to correct your mistakes like that. I say mistakes, that's maybe not quite the right word. But, you know, you're not always going to get the opportunity to, to change the match situation positively and turn a draw Actually, poor first half into a win. So, I think it, it, we were quite fortunate to get away with it with a system that went out there in the first half and, and wasn't quite right for the matchup we were faced with.
2: I'll choose to be a wee bit more optimistic there and um, say that I think it's quite encouraging to see that we've got a manager and a coaching team in place at the moment who are able to identify the the failings of a first half performance and and rectify them through substitutions and tactical changes because i think that's a a skill and an attribute that isn't to be sniffed at in in any level of football really it was very clear towards the end of that first half against bitablick um that it wasn't working and in fact i was i was watching in the pub with my pal and i said to him just before the second goal went in that i was Desperate for halftime to come Because it was so obvious that we were going to Concede another goal, so obvious So, you know, my my thoughts Rang true in that Halftime came and we were able to make the changes That were needed and put in Just, I don't think it was a particularly Good second half performance but what it Was, was calmer and more Controlled and Um just more efficient in in our use of the ball and in our defending. So I'm, I'm choosing intentionally here to be a bit more optimistic, but that trait in in uh, Stephen Glass and the rest of the coaching team, of of recognising failings and and choosing changes to make that can ultimately lead to more positive performances, is a is a trait that I'm I'm quite happy to see from him. In an ideal world, he gets it right from the very start, but that's that's something that isn't really very realistic to hope for from from a football manager you know games are going to play out differently to how you want them to and whichever manager is best at reacting to that and, and changing the setup is likely to be the one that wins the game so yeah a, a very um, Intentionally optimistic thought there, but I think it it rings true for that
1: game. I think that's fair enough, and of course, with Martin hosting, we need that uh, dose of of optimism (laughs) about it. But but what I would say, if the likes of you and I could see that a change needed to be made, then it was hardly, um, you know, the the greatest coaching mystery in the history of the world.
2: I think that a triple sub. At time is incredibly drastic Regardless of what performance You've put in in the first half And, and where the game currently sits Ultimately if we'd come back from Iceland With a 2-0 draw It wouldn't have been the worst result in the world Even with no away goals So a triple sub and choosing to to try And not only uh, lock down the second half But also uh, go on and win it Was a very very bold Managerial decision But it, it's one that endeared me To, to um, Stephen Glass uh, because Well ultimately because it was successful but also Because I, I, I like The idea of a manager that's been proactive And, and recognising where games Can be changed and ultimately won
3: Now Richard we had, um, we had some fun After the, the post-match comments from their Manager, um, a little bit of Bitterness coming from him there um, He said about the Aberdeen performance He didn't expect Aberdeen to be so bad um, He thought we would try to play Football, we made no attempt to Do so and apart
1: Really, that surprised him. <laughs> yeah, um, they they came across quite salty, didn't they? Um, post match on Thursday, but to get an idea of um, whether this is typical from uh, Oscar Thulfsen, I spoke to Christian Jonsen, who's a sports journalist with one of Iceland's biggest newspapers. Christian, is uh, Oscar usually quite so brash post match?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh... At least you could say that it's, new, it's unusual that uh, a coach of an Icelandic team says he is going to knock their opponents out when, when the opponents are a well-established professional team. He's an
1: he's a opinionated guy. Reading a bit into but, his uh, background, admittedly this is Wikipedia, so it could be wrong, uh, but um, he was formerly a, a journalist for many years. Is that right?
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. He was a sports journalist, but then also he was... Covering the news, basically.
1: So, so he knows he knows how the game works. Basically, he knows the, the the sort of interplay between the press and the football manager, and he probably knows what to say to get a reaction as well.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, he since he he's, since he chose to speak out like this after the game, after the first game, and then there, then there's definitely a reason for it. So. In my opinion, I think this is more of a message to his players. They should believe that that it would be
1: possible to knock everything out because he he is right in saying that the first leg was close, it was tight, and there is something there for Brederbeck in the second leg. definitely. I want to speak more about Oscar's background as well because uh, again, having worked as a journalist, it seems that he's only been coaching full time well not full time but professional teams for a couple of years. And he seems to have great success with Grota bringing them up to league. He must believe yeah. then that impossible-looking things are possible because of what he did there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I guess so. They were in the third division when they, went, when they went up to the first division. That was unexpected. Grota, doesn't have a rich history in, in Icelandic football, so that was unexpected. But maybe it was a good platform for him to to start. He has he has uh, some ideas about how he wants. How he wants his team to play. So uh, he wants to play. He wants to play uh, attractive football and, and attacking football. But this was—I uh, don't think anybody expected what happened with Grota, and, and then then Berblik came along, and uh, that's uh, a little bit different because uh, I mean Grota is is uh, and that's an amateur team. Mm-hmm. You can, when you when you have the best Icelandic teams, they are maybe they have some professionals in the team but it's uh but usually players they they have some kind of jobs or, or go to the university or something i mean you don't have full-blown professional teams in yeah. yeah it's a little bit different uh, probably it's a bigger club and uh, and uh, it's, it has become bigger and bigger they have a lot of we have a lot of young kids at the club. Johan Grimm is one who plays for Burnley. He, he was raised at Berwick and played for Berwick. Gilbert at Everton was at Berwick when he was a teenager.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Alfred Wimborson, who is now a captain of Augsburg in the Bundesliga in Germany, they have developed players and
1: uh, so he has. Uh, has a lot to work with it. Well, the game so, in between the two European ties um, that Berbat played was last night, um, and it was a very impressive. Looking three-one win at Stjarnm, uh, that's maybe a measure that uh, they're going to be serious league contenders in Iceland this year. It looks like a very competitive uh, title race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are doing they are doing re- really well now, and uh, the, the the team plays much better than it did
0: last year. So, so they have a real chance now. The champions of are also making some mistakes. So doing well in Europe is obviously an adventure for them and uh, it's obviously really exciting for players at uh, this calibre. But they also have to think about the league because they have a real chance there.
1: A few Aberdeen fans have, asked, uh, have been wondering about the scheduling because they think that a Monday night game before flying away to a European game on Thursday is uh, less than ideal. Is, is that part of the TV deal or...?
0: This is how it's usually been in, uh, in Iceland. Uh, I mean you have a, a short season in Iceland, it's obviously mm-hmm. a summer, uh, a season during the summer. So, teams do well in Europe and uh,
1: then it comes a bit of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously they enjoy it and uh, obviously they... they uh, Obviously there's uh, the a yeah. lot of money involved and uh, stuff like that But, uh, but it can be a, a bit of a problem You have, have to have some players in the squad that are ready to step in then. That is what Christian had to say about Oscar Philfordson I'm intrigued at that aspect that he thinks it was, it was more as a motivation to his side And yeah, his side should absolutely come here next Thursday believing that they can score because they caused us problems. And um, now, you know, I expect there's ways in which they play, are committed to play, in which um, are things we can take advantage, such as the way in which they are determined to play it from the back. We, we can definitely, with the, a lineup that's uh, better at committing the high press, I think we can definitely take advantage of that. But um, I certainly don't think this tie is dead, but we can speak more about that later.
2: It's interesting to hear that... Um... The, the bridle book manager i won 't try and pronounce his name uh, might have been a little bit salty. I thought that his squad became saltier as the game went on towards the end of the second half of of that first leg. Some of the tackles that were flying in were were you know on the meaty side to say the least. It was clear that they didn't like that they were losing that game i don 't know whether it's because they thought they didn't deserve to. Or, or perhaps that's just the way they play. I can't say that I've seen them, but um, yeah, they were an aggressive team as the as the game went on. Um, and uh, not to do another spoiler for later in the the episode, but we'll talk about aggressive teams playing against Aberdeen later on. I presume when we come to the Levy game.
1: Yes, us with Scott Brown, us poor wee innocents <laughs> being.
3: Um, well, let's just talk about talk about Livingston now, and we can we can have the the pity party about how. <laughs> How, you know, how innocent and nice a football team we are. Um, and plus, Scott Brown didn't start that game. Yeah, John, Ebb, six changes. Um, Ferguson missed out completely. Um, good old Funzo Ojo lost his opportunity to miss a sitter in this game by getting himself injured in the warm up. Um, and we saw, like I say, we saw six changes. Um, Gallagher, McGinn, Hedges, McGeeck, Jenks, and Gurr all came in. Probably too much changes. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to say when Brown came on that. You know, he changed the game, and suddenly you know, it was it was you no know, Brazil nineteen seventy stuff. But him coming on just seemed to turn the game a little bit more in our favour.
2: Yeah, it certainly did. I was I was at the game on Sunday, and I had a fantastic time. But um, on the train from Edinburgh through to Livy uh, on Sunday afternoon, the team news came through, and I was I was initially in a selfish manner quite shocked and surprised to see six changes and and um, from a purely a selfish fan perspective players that I wasn't as interested in, in watching. I was going through on Sunday really excited to get my, my first glimpse of, of Christian Ramirez and my first look at Scott Brown in red and to find out they were on the bench I was quite disappointed but then once I got over that, once I put my, my own Thoughts to the side. I just looked at that lineup and I thought Dylan McGeech is going to have a hell of a lot of work to do today. I think that one of Livy's strengths is in their centre midfield, and while I didn't know, I didn't and still don't know much about Teddy Jenks, um, th- th- there was nothing about that lineup that suggested, you know, strength in the centre and midfield, and I think that became quite apparent very early on. Uh, McGeech was being asked to do a lot. Jenks was. I suppose nominally there to support him in the centre of midfield, but in the first half did next to next to nothing. Um so the the introduction of Scott Brown was Scott Brown was um good from the point of view of finally being able to watch him, but also just added or rather took a bit of pressure off Dylan McGee, who I felt was being asked to do to do too much. In terms of the other changes, um I was I was very down on Jack Gurr after the first half. I thought he had a very very poor first half. He hugged the the right touchline like glue. If you watch back that first forty five minutes, he very rarely takes even a single step inside from the touchline, and in doing so, he just didn't offer himself as a as a potential outball for the centre backs. And the way that that Glass wants us to play is that the centre-backs are going to play the ball to the full-backs a lot of the time. McKenzie, as we, we spoke about earlier, is naturally a more defensively-minded full-back, so he's a less attractive option than the right-back, who should, in theory, be a bit more of an attacking option, and, and Jack Gar just wasn't that in the first half, so I was disheartened by that, on top of the the lack of Brown and and Ramirez. Um McGee is a player that I I want to really like because I really liked him at Hibs I thought he was fantastic at Hibs but ultimately when there's so much pressure on him as almost the sole central midfielder I don't think his style of play really suits that he's uh, a ponderous player shall we say he's a bit slow in possession and he takes quite a lot of time to make up his mind about what he's going to do Ultimately, when he does make a decision, it tends to be a good decision. But um, when when there's when there's a lack of options for him to pass to in the middle of the pitch, it puts you know an extra bit of pressure on him to make a decision that um, he's just not the, the the quickest minded of players, and it led to him just looking a little bit lost at sea in the first half. Luckily, the the changes that were made in terms of bringing on Scott Brown and then. Uh, um, particularly, Jack Carr came on to a, a really good game in the second half before he was taken off injured. So ultimately, it was a better performance after Brown came on. Um, but the, the changes definitely disrupted the rhythm and the the flow of our performance. We did not play at all well in the first half. We were we were pretty awful, I would say. So um, I think that you can really credit a lot of that to the to the changes in personnel.
1: Yeah, I mean, six changes. You would expect that to disrupt the side, but in some ways, it was actually a continuation of what we'd seen for large parts of Thursday night. There wasn't really that fluency going forward. Things were being halted quite, you know, easily by the opposition before, you know, we even got within 30 yards of the opposition goal, and we were being put under pressure at the back. We turned it around, and it, really, we came out in that second half probably having had the traditional ear-bashing from the manager at half-time, possibly for the first time in his tenure, and we really had a bit more emphasis and we scored at a really, really good time. But even that, we, again, we were slightly better in the second half as a whole than we had been throughout the first half, but the best chances were definitely still fought into Livingston. It was an afternoon where the fringe players could have staked a claim, could have said, right, you're going to pick me for Thursday because I'm a better option in this spot than the guy you played in Iceland. Nobody really did that, did they?
2: No, I was particularly disappointed in Niall McGinn, who I thought offered very little throughout the game. Um, It was a nice enough cross in for for Jenks' goal, but he can't take any credit for the goal itself as it was just poor defending from, from Livy that caused that. McGinn gave the ball away a lot. I thought that... Jenks scored a goal that we'll be seeing a lot towards the end of this, well, throughout the season, because it was such a clean hit and such a nice finish. But he was largely anonymous as well. I I, I struggle to think of much else of note that that Teddy Jenks did through the ninety, and um, even Ryan Hedges, who came in fresh, having not played in Iceland, also doesn't look particularly sharp. Um, So I don't think anybody who started on Sunday who hadn't featured the previous Thursday has made a particularly strong claim to come in. Perhaps Declan Gallagher looked a little bit more reliable than McCrory at the back, but I I don't think that either Gallagher or Constein had particularly great matches and Livy got a a reasonable amount of joy out of the same kind of tactics that Breda Blick had, had used against us on Thursday. So I'm certainly not Champing at the bit to see Gallagher Start alongside Constein on Thursday If there was an improvement there over McCrory, it was it was a slender Improvement
1: Yeah, I think Ryan Hedges Speaking more of the regulars here I think Ryan Hedges has had A quiet start to the season Even in that first hecking game He was not the focus There wasn't too much coming through him um, That could be because of the Speculation around him Or it could be that You know, we're going back to the player that we saw for most of his first year at Pataudry. The other concern for me, and again, Martin, I, I, I know we're going to spend the whole season talking about this, is Emmanuel Thomas. And... Just another performance, just another afternoon where, well, first of all, he's he's not a lone striker. I think we can all be agreed on that after after that performance. Despite the fact that he did seem to carry that role out for Livingston and caused us quite a few problems in the games last year, I, I don't see how he's got the skill sets prepared that can take that role on for this Aberdeen side. And just generally, it, again, it was a continuation of what we'd seen on Thursday: poor touches. Giving the ball away, not linking up as we'd hoped. It's got the feel of a luxury player, and I'm not sure that this project right now can can really carry game in game out. Somebody like that.
3: No, it definitely doesn't look it. And um, I, I, I get the feeling that probably every Monday, Tuesday, we're going to have this conversation, Richard. As you, as you point out to me that no, we're we're 15 games into the season, and he hasn't got anywhere near the, near the breaking <laughs> in, in, towards the 20 goal mark. Um, and I'm and I'm here for that. I'm absolutely here for that. Uh, but I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah, it just, it was another game. Obviously, only played forty five minutes on the Thursday. Uh, another game where, you know, we're going to need to see more from him because he's it, not mobile enough to be playing up front himself. Uh, that, that's for that's for sure. Um, John obviously mentions there. No, Neil McGinn was really disappointing. Neil McGinn should be one of the guys up there supporting him, along with along with Hedges, along with someone like Hayes. Your attacking midfielders, if you want to call them that. Um, aren't the ones Aren't giving him Any real support as well It's a lonely furrow From him to be try- Ploughing as well And I thought Yeah I thought it was just It wasn't It wasn't good uh, And we need to Obviously see some We do need to see Something a bit more From him
2: my, my favourite thing about Emmanuel Thomas And I think this is a positive trait That we can we can exploit Is that when he's having a good game He's almost impossible to get the ball off It's a combination of his physical stature I mean he is an absolute giant Out there You, you see it even more clearly from the stands That he just towers over The vast majority of the other players on the pitch But it's also that he does have Good feet and very good Close ball control if that's not coming off for him for any reason, whether it's that the defenders are well coached to play against him, whether he's just having an off day or whether it could even be the, the plastic pitch, although you'd hope that he rather that he more than anyone else can cope with Livy's plastic pitch, then the, the, the reasons for starting Emmanuel Thomas become less clear. So if he's not able to hold that ball up, if he's not able to have it stick to him like glue, like it did in the first leg against Hacken, where I thought that he was simply untackleable, he could just hold the ball up all day um, against Hacken in that first leg. If that's not coming off for him, then the other things he brings to to the game just aren't quite to the same standard and therefore it becomes difficult to... To appreciate what he 's doing in the, in the same way, um, I thought that uh, he certainly was was trying really hard on Sunday against Livy. I thought that there was no shortage of commitment, but things just weren 't coming off. Um, I would hope that we we have more so I spoke earlier about how um, I was encouraged by Stephen glass making changes against Braddable um he needs to also make those changes in an attacking sense when it's clear that J. Emmanuel Thomas's day isn't going the way we would want it to. So while I'm, I'm praising Glass for making changes in one scenario, I, I'm looking for him to make changes in another scenario where uh, perhaps Emmanuel Thomas's performance isn't getting what we need out of him. And I, I also wanted to say about um, McGinn. McGinn. Played as a centre forward for about the first five or ten minutes of the second half. He was playing right up top alongside Emmanuel Thomas, and and that's a position that I just don't know that McGinn is capable of playing anymore. Um, you know, McGinn is not the player he was under Craig Brown. However many years ago it was nine, ten years ago, he doesn't have that touch of pace and acceleration that he used to have so what we ended up having for the first 10 minutes of that second half was probably the slowest front line I've ever seen in my my entire life Um, there was just no well there was intelligent movement but there was no pace behind it and that's quite easy to defend against Um, so the introduction of Ramirez even though Ramirez actually didn't do anything really when he came on um, at least gave us that little bit more um, athleticism which we were certainly lacking when it looked like it was going to be Emmanuel Thomas and game up front. That's something I don't really want to see again from us if we can possibly avoid it.
1: Yeah, Emmanuel Thomas in that opening game against Hecken looked like a player that had come to the Arsenal Academy and been schooled there. Emmanuel Thomas in the game since looks like the guy that was in Thailand before rocking up at Livingston. So he is going to be an enigma, no question.
3: Yeah, there's, a, there's a poser for anybody who's listening out there. Um, if you can think of a slower front line, than Jet and McGinn, because um, off the top of my head, I'm struggling to think of think of anyone. Um, I don't know Richard who played alongside Craig Brewster but he was he, Craig Brewster was good, but he was slow. Who else? I'm trying to think of a pairing that would be as slow as that.
1: Oh, Rory Fallon and Ian e. probably. Um... <laughs>
3: you're I mean you're, you're the guy with the you're the one with the good memory, so I thought I would come to you. But yeah, if, if anyone out there is listening and can think of the slowest front line that Aberdeen's ever had. Um, do let us know on Twitter. That'll be will um, be a, quite a poser for you.
1: I think we probably started with um, Zola and Fernan, maybe a couple of times. That would have been pretty. Oh same. yeah,
3: Ootcha. So the positive, one of the positive things, obviously, came out of the game was that our, our last minute winner. It was obviously it was very lucky. Uh, a shot by Jack McKenzie, uh, right at the keeper, uh, and yeah, it was lucky. But they all count. If you don't know, if you don't buy a ticket. John, you don't win the lottery. We'll say, no, you were there, so we'll we'll come to you with about no know, the goal celebrations. 80 sixteen months, seventeen months of pent, of joy, anger, whatever other emotion you want to think about. Uh, all came out in a in one hour, in a one hour, Um what was it like?
2: Well, firstly, the goal itself. I was I was sat right behind the goal, and I thought the shot was going straight down my throat. So I I dread to think what the goalie must have thought. Um, I thought I was in a, a good position to save it from directly behind his his net. Um, but then, what a fluff of the lines from Strike to to knock it in. It was it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic to be in the crowd for that. Not just because it was a last-minute winner, not just because it was um, you know 18 months since we were last able to enjoy something like that, but also it had that classic moment of head and hands at a chance missed because nobody, nobody in the Aberdeen crowd wanted Jack McKenzie to take that shot on. Um, Jack McKenzie a really encouraging. Young player and, and and I really Enjoy watching him but he doesn't strike me as much Of an attacking threat so when he Tried to ping one in from 20 odd yards With his wrong foot In the, what could well have ended up being the Last chance of the game you know, I had my head in my hands and then you see the shot come off and it doesn't look like it's gonna do any danger whatsoever and you're you're cursing under your breath or, or out loud as many of the people around me were and then the keeper goes and does us a, a massive favour and, and punches it in. I will state in case anyone from Police Scotland is listening that I did not enter the pitch in celebration <laughs> after the call. Um I am far too old, and my hamstrings would not entertain the thought of me trying to climb over an advertising hoarding. Um, and, and, and you know, I'm certainly not going to slag off or have a go at any of the Aberdeen fans who did go on to the pitch. I, I fully understand the the nature of the pent up um, the pent up emotions that were there. Yesterday, uh, not yesterday. Sorry, Sunday felt like. Uh, it felt like a real classic away game because there was a sort of unspoken sense of camaraderie amongst everyone in those that stand and a half that we had. Um, everyone could tell that it was something special and it was something really exciting to be back in an environment like that. Um the atmosphere I thought was absolutely fantastic. It's it's becoming a bit of a cliche at this point or, or rather it has been a cliche. It hopefully won't need to be said any longer. But you wouldn't have thought there were only nine hundred of us in those stands. I've been to away games um at any number of stadiums where there have been more Aberdeen fans there and we've made less noise than we did on Sunday. It was a real it was a real occasion, it felt like a real event. Um, So I'm not going to say anything bad Against anyone who who went onto the pitch On Sunday, I think it was A perfectly natural reaction to um, a, A last minute winner In a very emotional game That ultimately we didn't really deserve to win So go ahead, do what you want I don't think I want it to become a thing That we do, I don't want to see Us doing pitch invasions Every time we score a, a late goal or a winning goal or just win a game, because I think that ultimately it becomes a bit small time if you're doing that kind of thing all the time. Um, I also think that Stephen Glass was perhaps a little bit too defensive of the fans when he he said that you'll see this happen at grounds up and down the country all weekend. Or, or, for the the coming weeks, whenever a team has a, a a goal or a result like that, I don't think that's the case. That by all means we enjoyed it and we we had a fantastic time, but you know I think he was he was very keen to kind of toe a line there, which which is it's, it's fine, but it's not quite the 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 angle I would have taken. Um, incredible scenes, a fantastic day out. I was on my own, so I was, I was not just socially distanced from everyone else, I was socially distanced from, from literally every other fan in the ground, but I still was able to celebrate the two goals, uh, you know, like a madman jumping around in my seat and, um, you know, I I, I had a hoarse throat on, on Monday from singing and shouting so much, so it was, it was a thoroughly enjoyable day out and, and well warranted celebrations. Not a game I think we deserve to win But I, I could not care less about that if I tried
3: I think it was a very poor line of questioning um, On Radio Scotland particularly From I think it was Jane Lewis Clearly looking for the manager to criticise the support Aberdeen, particularly Stephen Glass Has spoken about how good the support's been How vocal the support's been Particularly obviously the two Europe, the home European games I thought it was a really poor line of questioning Looking to get the manager Maybe just look, looking to put a bit of a negative um, on on the start of the season, um, don't think I'm going into conspiracy mode. Um, I'm I'm not one of these anti-BBC people.
1: You're veering dangerously towards this.
3: I am, that's why I'm that's why I'm giving you the disclaimer that I'm not one of these anti-BBC people. I will happily play, pay the license purely just for the Glastonbury coverage. If I'm being honest,
1: so like that Rangers supporters club, we also turned down the BBC, but that's for entirely different re- reasons.
3: <laughs> um, where was that? Yes, so I was. I thought I was. I was quite happy to hear Stephen Glass come out and say that. You know, I think that I'd mentioned. I've mentioned before um, a couple of weeks ago about how the bond between the, the club and the support is re, is getting really stronger. And I think it's with the support. I think it's many things, including the results, obviously, and the, you know, the social media interactions from all the players. Um, getting rid of Derek McInnes's twenty-four hours either side of the game ban on social media, I think, has helped. Um, And I thought it was just a a shitty line of questioning To try and kind of put a dampener dampener on an afternoon And perhaps the start of the season
1: I disagree in a way Because I think it was an inevitable line of questioning That was a talking point immediately afterwards So of course you're going to ask about that Was she looking for a particular reaction? Was she looking for a particular line? No, I, I don't believe so I think she was just asking a question Which was quite a natural question to ask So... So, no, I'm going to shoot down your attempts at con- conspiracy theories here, Martin. And um, yeah, I mean, Glass answered it sensibly and he answered it in a way that understands the importance of the fans to the game. And I think everyone who plays the game and has played the game throughout this last 18 months pe- period has been given a forcible reminder of the importance of supporters to the game. You know, you might have been in that uh, footballer bubble before and thought of, oh, what do fans matter? Well, I, I think everyone who's spoken about the situation over the per- that unfolded over the past 18 months now understands how much the sport brings to a game.
2: I should, I should clarify that I don't think Stephen Glass said anything wrong in his comments after the game. I think that if you asked him honestly and off the record, does he believe that fans at games up and down the country will be celebrating like that for... for Weeks and months as a, a show of uh, emotion. I don't think he would earnestly believe that, and I think that um, you're both right in saying that he, he has a job, and that is to to defend us as as fans, and to stick up for us and and encourage us to to show our support. So I think he did the right thing in that respect. I just think it was it was maybe a slightly engineered response from him, which I, I don't have a problem with in the grand scheme of things. Um, I just didn't quite buy it myself personally as a, as a as a response.
3: So anyhow, oh my god, oh my oh my god, it's a apologies. I was apologies. I was just distracted there. Malmo have gone up four two on aggregate. Oh
0: well.
1: Wow. Oh that's, I see. that's wonderful Fantastic. news. It was because they were one 0 down last time I checked, and down to ten minutes. Uh, yeah, that that's like, 10 that 10 was then, a a yeah. collapse just... for the ages. <laughs> Fantastic.
3: Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, uh, oh see, the, my. The, this, this, Do this podcast, you just get so much joy out of it, <laughs> so much joy. Uh, so, European European football, we have the Bredevik second leg on Thursday night. Um, I've obviously just given the given away the fact that we're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, the club's priority at the moment is clearly advancement in Europe.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, and it has to be. You look at the numbers involved, and it has to be. And we, you know, we, we were dealt a, a tremendous hand in the third qualifying round. That we yeah, we haven't had for a number of years, and that would have been the case even if uh, Austria Vienna had uh, got through. To be perfectly honest, because of the, the state that they are in right now in the final qualifying round, and I don't, I, I really don't want to talk too much about this before Thursday. But you know that again represents an opportunity, the sort of opportunity we simply haven't had because we haven't got to that stage. So let's get there on Thursday night. Yeah, there shouldn't be any thought about resting players. We can maybe think about doing that. In the League Cup match A lot of people will say Oh but the League Cup's really important And yeah of course We want to progress in everything But Thursday night's where it's at And as I've said earlier I don't think this tie is dead I think there is definitely scope For us to pressurise them At the back And to score goals Whether it be from set pieces Or whether it just be from open play But I think we've seen enough of them And we've seen enough of how They play against our shape and style To know that they can cause us problems Coming away from an away leg With a win Is always brilliant Obviously we still haven't worked out quite What the exchange rate is From the old away goals system To the current system But regardless An away win in Europe Sets you up very well for the home leg I have belief in this team to finish the job I'm looking forward to Obviously A fine occasion on Thursday night I don't expect it to be a full house. We can maybe talk about some of the reasons why that won't be the case. They're not all down to the price of the tickets. Obviously, I think it's still coming too early for some people. You know, a completely uncapped crowd, and I get that, and I understand that. Again, I'm looking forward to another step back on the road to normality. I'm looking forward to what I think will be an open game. I just love European football, and uh, tonight is showing me why. It's
2: a fantastic opportunity. We... we um... We have to, to take it at face value And that is uh, We're, we're ahead in a tie With a game at home With a crowd that if it's not a full house As you suggest is still going to be a significantly bigger crowd Than what we played against in Iceland um, And we need to just Grasp that opportunity with both hands I am pretty certain that we will I'm not confident enough to start making predictions about the next round or anything like that But I think this is a, a group of players That that have that determination and commitment And I, I, I struggle to see a scenario Where it goes horribly wrong I could see us drawing I can certainly see us conceding In fact um, I, I would be checking the odds On both teams to score um, With a view to putting some, some cash on that but, but I think ultimately We'll be in a good position Just slightly as an aside I think it's very strange that two-legged ties like this Can be subject to such sweeping changes In Covid restrictions So I know that um, Icelandic teams don't tend to carry Very big crowds So this, our game is perhaps a bad example here But um, whoever was the, the home tie uh, Or the first leg rather Sorry um, for For this round of European games has had to contend with restrictions In place and then they come back to play a British team where all of a sudden You've got a, a bit of a free for all And um, we'll be looking at, at Certainly five figures at Pataudry On Thursday. I think that's taking the, the concept of home advantage To to quite new Lengths. If we were to still be Under some sort of lockdown in Scotland And um, if we were to Have faced this scenario in reverse Where we were travelling abroad to, to some sort of hotbed of football like St Johnston have just done by heading to Istanbul and playing in front of a full crowd and then coming back to play a decisive second leg in, in an empty stadium, I would find that quite hard to swallow. Ultimately St Johnston proved me wrong by playing very well in Turkey and getting a good result but I think the the point stands it's, it's, it's a really interesting and um, unique season in that respect in that The ties are not necessarily being played on a level playing field, um, and hopefully that works to our advantage on Thursday.
3: I mean, John, what do you think? What do you think the approach will be? I mean, um, I mean, does he reverse as many of the six changes as possible? Um, Also, well, obviously we spoke about Considine and McCrory in the first leg, and how they changed it to the three in the second half. No. Is that where Gallagher's going to slot in Or does, does one of them drop out for Gallagher Where does he fit in system wise
2: Well I have to say that um, Having listened to to Previous episodes of the podcast And my own thoughts as well Were that hopefully Gallagher would be A bit of an improvement in terms of The the playing out from the back That, that Glass is, is Pretty dead set on And I have to say unfortunately having watched the game on Sunday, I don't think Gallagher is the solution to that particular problem Um, I thought he played marginally better than Considine did on Sunday but neither of them looked particularly well suited to that role Livingston had no issue whatsoever in letting Considine or or Gallagher uh, push forward from midfield and indeed even when they they picked out McGeech with a pass they had no real desire to close down McGeech either Um, so I don't I think that Gallagher's a, a, a perfectly competent defender in the purest sense of the word. He is a, a defender, but he's not the ball-playing maestro that that we were perhaps hoping for in the absence of his appearance in the first couple of games of the season. And and in fact, I don't know that any of Constantine, McCrory, um, Gallagher, or even the oft-forgotten Mikey Devlin are the solution to that problem. Um I, I don't think it looks like uh, Stephen Glass is particularly keen to adjust his style So whether that means it has to be um, transfers or or other players stepping into unusual positions I don't know But if we're going to continue to play out from the back in that manner It, it, it gives me a, a bit of the fear watching Constantine Gallagher and McCrory try and do it um, In terms of the overall approach on Thursday I would be surprised if we didn't play our strongest fit 11, and I think that that strongest fit 11 looks pretty similar to the, the hacking and Blick first legs, you know obviously there was a little bit of a change there with Hedges with and McKenzie um, but if Ferguson's fit and, and happy to play and Stephen Glass is pretty adamant that there's nothing sinister going on behind the scenes there, then Ferguson surely starts and um, I, I, and so do the rest of the players who sat out On, on Sunday, Scott Brown for example you know, I'd, I'd bet the mortgage That he starts on Thursday um, And I would, I'd bet a similar amount That, that Ramirez starts as well um, I think it's important That we, we don't let that tie get away from us And we've certainly got the, the Players to do it and, and we'll have learned A lot from that first leg and we'll have learned A lot from the, the opposition Manager's comments about the way we played um, So you know if and when Stephen Glass gets the team selection right, we'll, we can be reasonably confident, and I think that team selection will look largely like what we all imagine the, the full strength of eleven to be.
3: John, just just how much money did you get in those birthday cards? You're looking, at, <laughs> look, are you look looking to flick for you to fritter it all away.
2: No, I did buy a lottery ticket um, for tonight, and I keep. Refreshing my Gmail in the background To see if they've sent me that horribly misleading Important news about your ticket Email which <laughs> tells you That you've won a pound fifty or £3 pounds Or something like that So I do keep refreshing that in the background If you hear me run off down the street and joy, It's because I've I've picked up a few million quid in the lottery tonight
1: And not the, because, because Malmo scored a third
2: <laughs> Yeah that's that's the That's the other reason If Malmo score a third then I may well just uh, I may well just be off and out
3: now, Richard, events no events of in the next couple of days will probably overtake this, but we'll quickly. I want to quickly go over a couple of things here. Um, you no, know, we've obviously, I think we expect bodies. will need to head out uh, the club before anyone new comes in. And um, we've obviously seen that uh, an English club has bid apparently bid 500 grand for Ryan Hedges, which was turned down, um, and he's been offered a new contract. Matty Kennedy has been linked with Ross County in St Mirren. Along with, um, as you expected Actually you called it a couple of weeks ago Mick Overtinen
1: On Ryan Hedges front This is not the first time that they will have offered him a contract There's maybe a new contract offer But you know, we are not the shambling wreck That we were a decade ago There would have been conversations going on From the point at which Ryan Hedges Sort of got got his act together um, And probably from about December last year About extending his deal Because he's a good age and was playing week in, week out So we are not in the habit of letting those players Enter the last stages of the contract Unless of course they're determined to, to leave And if you know, you look around the football world And Ryan Hedges' football world Is basically England, let's be honest And you're talking about what, 60, 70 clubs Who are maybe able to spend more in Aberdeen Maybe that situation has changed a little bit With the spending caps that they brought in In League 1 and League 2 down in England And if it is championship clubs That rest in them there's not a hope for keeping him. Not a hope in hell. Um, because, you know, you can guarantee that even the seventh choice right back at Blackburn Rovers is probably on twice whatever the highest earner, earner at Petaudry is, even though they claim to be skint. I think they're about to bank about £20 million for the sale of their striker, aren't they? Who's also in the last year of his deal, which is quite interesting as a comparison. You know, if there's genuine interest in the Championship, we don't stand a chance. And it's frankly about whether we sell him now Whether we sell him in January or whether we let him go in June As I said earlier, based on his displays so far this season He still has a bit of work to do for me He has to convince me that he's not just going to be a one season wonder He was very good last year, there's no question about that Um, Obviously he missed that spell injured And um, we missed him greatly Um, But this season the focus has been elsewhere And uh, it would be good to see him come back roaring uh, on Thursday night as for the other changes, again, yeah, they're so predictable, we, we could uh, call them. Vertanen was not even getting in squads, even when we had, you know, 18, 22 men squads. Again, the usual wailing and gnashing of teeth about him not getting a chance. We're talking about three separate managers who didn't trust him beyond, I think it's nine minutes of first-team action. Yes, he went out and had a really good loan spell at Both, but that's bottom of the, the championship. Quite telling, I think, as well, that when he's gone he's going to a championship club. He's he's not being picked up by another Premier League club. He's not he's not going down south. He's going to a championship club in Scotland at the age of twenty two, I think he is now. Matty Kennedy it's just never happened from here, has it? Just never happened. He probably won't be the last but isn't the first and won't be the last person that just leaves Perth, leaves St Johnson and flatters to deceive elsewhere. I think there's so much to be said about the team ethos down there and about um Getting more out of individuals in that team setting that they 've obviously established uh, because so often when players leave there they just don 't perform as well elsewhere. Michael Halvin was a was a direct example a good few years before that who who performed brilliantly for St. Johnston went elsewhere, did very little and has ended up back at Perth. so give it a few years, and Mike Kennedy may well be. Back in Perth again, even if it's not The direct move that he makes now
2: I certainly won't be particularly sorry to see the back Of Matty Kennedy a, a perfectly capable squad Filler, but at that Position we've got enough in the Squad that if he's A wage we can get off, because I don't imagine he's on Pennies um, If if we can get rid of him then I'm, I'm pretty much in favour of that It's yet another, yet another Derek McInnes signing where There was the, the long 18 month pursuit followed by the desperation to get him in six months before the end of the contract that resulted in us paying a fee to get him and then, and then nothing after, after we finally got the man that we were led to believe would be the solution to all our problems. The, the list of players that McInnes did that, that long pursuit of, um, and then very quickly the players left, that, that's a long list of players. Um, so not, not, not much time for Matty Kennedy. Uh, I'm slightly more um, you know, disappointed to see Vertanen go with the caveat that I've got absolutely no evidence for my disappointment. He just seemed like the kind of interesting youth player that you do want to see in some squads and, and, and getting some minutes. But I, I certainly trust the manager's judgment on that one. Be interested to see if there's any sort of... Um, Clause or or fee attached with the move to Hamilton, or if we simply released Verton and cut all ties and and left him free to go, um, it would be a shame to think that we'd done that if if Hamilton were seriously interested, because we could probably have negotiated something, of a sell-on just in case he turns into the player that that perhaps might be 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 hiding there somewhere from the from the our broth loan. Um, and with regards to getting someone else in well I, I would be very keen to get in another centre forward because I think that Jet and Ramirez I, I, don't, I don't see how we can look to start two up front um, as we've done in the, the majority of games this season and yet only have two strikers plus Michael Ruth on the books so another striker would be a priority and wouldn't it be lovely to get a ball playing centre back as well someone who fits the, the kind of glass philosophy um, but I, I don't imagine they're particularly easy to come by So it would be looking to get rid of someone like Ryan Hedges um, Just finally with regards to Hedges um, I think the key to getting the best out of him Is to to find a player that he can play alongside And develop a, a rapport with Because it's, it's, it's no surprise Or it's no, um, it's no shock that his best performances last season Came when he had that almost telepathic relationship with, with Scott Wright um, if Hedges could build a similar relationship with someone else in the squad, whether that's Jenks, Ramirez, or even if it's someone who he's already played alongside like like Hayes, um, then I think that's when you'll see the best out of Hedges. He's a very intelligent player, but he needs someone to kind of play off um, like he did with with Wright. If we were to able to if we were able to nurture that relationship between him and someone else, then yes, fantastic. We would have the player from last season. If we don't get that, relationship set up then we're looking at the hedges of two seasons ago where he was in and out of the team uh looked good at times but also didn't look fantastic at others so I think that's the that's the key to the the hedges experience from my point of view
3: and just finally we'll have a a little line on this game on sunday as well uh, we're awaiting wraith rovers in the league cup richard a nice and a nice easy winnable game i mean I'd say easy no um, it's not going to mostly be a walkover But no, a nice winnable game at this early stage of the tournament um, I don't think we'll see Depending on how Thursday goes um, I don't think we'll see six changes this time though.
1: Um, well I, th- I think With the potential, potential At this point of a, a trip to <laughs> the Borders of Asia um, The following midweek I think there's definitely going to be changes um, Assuming we get through the tie on Thursday I think a little bit of the fun has been sucked out of this by it being a Sunday lunchtime kickoff for the benefit of TV Um, I think it would have been an attractive looking tie Certainly not an easy tie But um, I guess when you look at the the other unseeded teams There was was certainly the potential to be worse uh, Worse games that we could have had I don't know if he would have learned his lesson about such heavy rotation on on Sunday I, I think he knows it's necessary if we're going to achieve that goal uh, And it would be It would be such a win for the club I mean, Denmark has won a trophy in his first season And essentially qualifying for the group stages Here would be like winning a trophy Except that the financial benefits to the club Are a are, are more immediate And more uh, long-lasting as well um, You know, we don't get The shiny piece of silverware We don't get the open top bus Down the street But qualifying for the group stages Makes those things more likely in the future.
2: I'm heading up the road to Kirkcaldy on, on Sunday for the game, and you're quite right, it should have been a very attractive fixture, but a combination of the midweek, sorry, midday kickoff and the Scott Rail strikes make it a, a really tricky game to get too excited about. That said, I had such a good time on Livy, at Livy on Sunday that I am looking forward to it, but I'm currently looking at a, a nine o'clock train from Edinburgh as it's the only one running. Which means I'll be in the Weatherspoons in Kirkcaldy from ten o'clock in the morning, and that that you know that can make or break a, a game before you even get to kick off. Um, but, you say uh, that like, you say
1: that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I, I wish it wasn't a Weatherspoons, and I suppose I probably wish it wasn't a Weatherspoons in Kirkcaldy. But um, <laughs> you know, needs must needs must when uh, you're looking at two away days in a row. Um, I, I can't remember, it's it's been a wee while since we've played Wraith as well, which which adds a wee bit of flavour to it. I've never been to, to Starks Park, although I feel like I have because I've been past it 9,000 times on the train and you might as well be in the ground when you're going past it on the train. So I, I am excited for it, despite the circumstances conspiring against me. Um, I think we'll see a strong line-up, but the likes of Scott Brown like, get another wee rest with with hopefully, a European tie to look forward to. If things go badly on Thursday, and, and, you know, fingers crossed they don't, but if they do go badly on Thursday, then the League Cup becomes more important again than it already is, and I think we would perhaps see a strong line-up on, on Sunday if that were to be the case. Um, but I'm just looking forward to being in an even bigger and even noisier crowd than I was on Sunday, um, and... I can confirm again for any Police Scotland listeners that I will not be going on the pitch. You have my word on that.
1: I think what I will say with regard to rotation is that I think privately Stephen Glass will be fairly disappointed in the performance on Sunday and, and, and in the performance of some of those squad players. And um, that he, you know, he maybe has to question whether they actually even deserve the chance again. To play in the first team again quite so quickly But I really think, especially with the way the fixture lists line up If we are going to be going to Baku on the Thursday after If that's the case, it might be Cyprus Or it might be at home watching Coronation Street As Hearts did throughout the 80s But if that is the fixture list Then there is going to have to be rotation I would expect it and I would expect it to the same extent that we saw on Sunday
2: Still players who, who didn't play on Sunday Uh, who haven't played much as the season's gone on and are probably looking for their opportunity as well. I might have missed something, so apologies if I have, but Conor McLennan didn't make the squad on Sunday and I think he's looked good in the the European appearances that he's made Uh, Michael Ruth will, we need to see something from him at some point because he is the club's only other striker in terms of uh, getting minutes on the pitch Um, Dean Campbell obviously only made it into the squad because of Ojo's warm-up injury but Dean Campbell looked very good at times last season, he's a bit of a polarising figure Um, I'm I'm not quite sure I understand why but um, You know, he's a capable professional with dozens of games or at least a a couple of dozen games under his belt at Aberdeen. So, there are players who can still come into a rotated squad that aren't tarnished by having been part of the first half at Livy where we looked so poor. So, you know, I would hope that, for example, assuming McLennan's fit and I've not missed something, McLennan instead of McGinn would make a lot of sense, Uh, Ruth instead of. Emmanuel Thomas would make a lot of sense Campbell instead of McGee might make a lot of sense So there there are still options that haven't been tried Rotating from the best 11 Doesn't mean starting the same 11 That started uh, on Sunday
3: That brings our podcast to an end this week John, if, um, if, you, if you get to Witherspoons early, you can always do that uh, That gimmick where you post your table number On Twitter and see how <laughs> many plates of peas Or something you get sent <laughs> uh, if, if you're by yourself and bored That's always a fun game to play
2: no, there's two of us going through on, on Sunday As things stand So uh, hopefully the conversation won't get so dire That we have to start uh, looking for Twitter gimmicks To entertain <laughs> us But uh, that's not to say I won't take a drink From anyone who, who offers Feel free to slide into the DMs And I will provide you with a table number But I might not advertise it quite so fully
3: <laughs> oh, no problem. Well thanks Well, thank you anyway for coming up the podcast we really really enjoyed it again, John
2: yeah, that was my pleasure. I really enjoyed being back on. Thanks very much, guys.
3: And thanks, thanks always to Richard. Hey, you nearly made through an epi- through an episode without having a pop at Hearts, but alas, fall at the last hurdle.
1: Uh, unbeaten record remains intact.
3: Fall at the last hurdle, of <laughs> course, much like Hearts did in 1986. I'll have one as well. I'll have one as well while we're at it. And so, yeah, that's that's the podcast for this week. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week with another show. Um, hopefully, looking forward to. Uh, well, as Richard says, a trip to a trip to Cyprus or a trip to Baku, um, and the next round of the League Cup. But until then, come on, you Reds!